first it was 5G. Then when COVID came, it was uh, different falsehoods, including that COVID doesn't exist. There were also stories suggesting that 5G is uh, causing what we call COVID and things like that. So we see that uh, local disinformation actors really adapted what was trending uh, overseas. We've just heard from internet researcher Nika Alexeyeva. She lives in Latvia, which topped the European Union's COVID-19 mortality charts in October. The situation was so bad that the government declared a state of emergency. So, Daiva, what does that mean if we compare, for example, Latvia's mortality to the United States or to the United Kingdom? How high is it? Well, what I found was, and this could be even more extreme, for October, we have per 1 million people, 2,200 deaths uh, compared to the United States with 2,300 and the UK with 2,100. This is really on the top of the charts. Brazil is a lot higher. But for example, compared with the Netherlands, who have a quite difficult situation, it's double the, the rate of death of the Netherlands, double the rate in Germany. So yeah, it's very high. And only three in five of Latvia's residents are fully vaccinated. Do you know why that is? So Latvia has been a target of disinformation earlier in the pandemic. A news channel ran a story that claimed that coronavirus has even been engineered in a Latvian lab. But Latvia has also developed a domestic disinformation scene. And experts warn that a part of the population readily believes disinformation about Western vaccines available in Latvia. Yeah, and I think one thing that we always have to think of is that we don't really know what the connection is between disinformation that's available and uh, hesitancy to vaccinate. So uh, it always seems like the link is clear, but I think we need to be careful and say we can't establish that. There's really no research to show it yet. Exactly. And that's why we talk to internet researchers who look into how many people this disinformation reaches. Right. And a lot of what we've seen is that a lot of Eastern Europe seems to be reluctant to vaccinate. Uh, for example, if we look at Bulgaria, very, very, very low rate. Exactly. And there are some opportunistic actors who want to keep it that way. Welcome to the inoculation. Join me, Eva von Schaper, and my co-host, Daiva, as we look at how the vaccine disinformation movement around the world is shaping our society. In the remaining episodes of this year, we'll look at how anti-vaccination movements filtered into politics in different European countries. But stay with us even if you don't care about Latvia, which we are discussing today, because what happened there holds lessons for countries all over the world. Yes, that's true. And what particularly struck me um, as we were talking to Nika was that she had already started following anti-vaccination movements as early as 2018. So these were people who obviously did not know yet about the coronavirus, but uh, they were anti-measles vaccination, anti-childhood vaccination. Exactly. And we didn't follow Latvia at the time because it still had very high measles vaccination rate. But um, Daiva, so let's just take a look at where Latvia is, because you're from Lithuania which I think maybe a lot of people might confuse. So can you give us an idea of the location of the Baltic states, which one is where, 
and how they might be a bit different. Yeah, so the Baltic states are arranged in the alphabetic order north to south, so Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania. They're across the Baltic Sea from Sweden, uh, they're north of Poland, and they border uh, Russia and Belarus in the east. Exactly, and for a long time they were uh, SSRs, so Soviet republics, isn't that right? Exactly. But although they are considered to be one single unit, they're actually quite different in terms of history and, and culture. And I think that, for example, Latvia and Lithuania, even though they're very small, I think it's about how many inhabitants are in, in Latvia? Two million and close to three million in Lithuania. Well, three million people is about the size of Berlin in Germany. Exactly. So very small countries. And Lithuania is uh, quite distinct from Latvia, isn't it? In some ways. I think they're very similar. But for example, Lithuania is predominantly Catholic. And you can see this in architecture. Latvia is kind of split between Lutheran, Catholic and Orthodox communities. Okay, that's interesting. And also, I think one important point is that they're quite different from Russia and from the neighboring uh, states such as Poland. They're, I think they even have a different history in, in their language. The Lithuanian and Latvian are languages that aren't really related to any other languages. So they are related to each other, uh, whereas Estonian is, is completely different and only similar to Finnish and to some extent Hungarian. Okay, but they're not related, for example, to Russian or to Polish. They're not related to any of the Slavic languages. There's a very distant connection. It can be difficult for Lithuanian or Latvian speakers to learn Slavic languages. Okay, so so back to the anti-vaccination movement. Were you even interested in Latvia uh, when you started looking at anti-vax movements? No, because when I looked at the WHO data, Latvia actually looked like it was doing so much better than Lithuania. And they didn't have a similar measles crisis as we had two years ago. Okay, that's really interesting. But the anti-vaccination sentiment is really strong there now, isn't it? That's right. Anika told us that uh, anti-vaccination actors started mobilizing at uh, about similar time. And it's important to note that they link to other conspiracies that were circulating at the time. And so let's just listen into that. Anti-vax uh, activities started to take place probably earlier, but we can pinpoint it uh, in December of uh, 2018, when the biggest and most influential uh, Facebook page slash NGO that promoted anti-vax ideas uh, was established. Because, of course, we had groups uh, of people, pages, um, other assets online that were spreading disinformation and conspiracy theories. Uh, we monitored them closely, but then they pivoted to also anti-vax sentiment. But uh, it's very intertwined with uh, other narratives. For instance, if you take a look at QAnon, you can see how it grew from uh, one conspiracy theory branch called Pizzagate that was created before uh, U.S. presidential elections. And then it really kind of morphed and also uh, got merged with other conspiracy theory ideas, including the New World Order and things like that. The same happened with um, activities of local um, disinformation actors. Uh, they really tapped into these international uh, topics. First, it was 5G. Then when COVID came, it was uh, different falsehoods, including that COVID doesn't exist. There were also stories suggesting that 5G is uh, causing what we call COVID and things like that. So we see that uh, local disinformation actors really adapted what was trending overseas 
and here I mostly talk about uh, English language space uh, where these conspiracies and falsehoods were circulating and Russian information space to a lesser extent because, well, of course, in, in Latvia many speak Russian and uh, th- that content can be easily adapted as well. And uh, probably the first story about vaccines was that uh, Bill Gates uh, allegedly suggested that um, RNA vaccines will change human DNA, which he never said. Nevertheless, this claim was attributed to him. Uh, and it happened uh, briefly after pandemic broke, like in May. Uh, well, briefly, relatively briefly to now. I mean, like in May 2020. Uh, but then it was mostly silent and wasn't kind of in, in the agenda of disinformation outlets. But then when we realize that vaccines are here, almost here, and then that in late December, early January, they will already be available for more general public. Then we also saw that um, disinformation actors are also obviously reporting about it. So uh, they are also following the news cycle. They are tapping into what may uh, concern their readership. And their readership is usually people who are prone to simplistic explanation of complicated things. Because when pandemics come, it's invisible enemy. Uh, also, economical situation changes due to various restrictions. You can't go maybe um, to party, to bars. Uh, you can't travel that freely. So it all confuses people. And they are dissatisfied, so they seek explanation for their personal situation, also general situation. And these conspiracy theories and also simplified falsehoods and manipulative messages about true news uh, could provide that satisfaction of, oh, now I know what's happening. Now I know who to blame. And that really sucks people in because that feeling that, oh, now I know, it's very satisfying. And this is part of how human being is built. Uncertainty is dangerous. Uncertainty provides us feeling of safety. But do we know what was the motivation for all these people and businesses and politicians to start spreading these falsehoods? The way I understood Nika, it was not always the belief that vaccines don't work. Some people were clearly just motivated by um, greed or other interests. So let's listen what she had to say. So there are uh, disinformation actors who are seeking some political influence, but the politicians who are running for elections and are really having political parties that are leaders of them are more like piggybacking on already made uh, disinformation claims or rather the essence of those. So they don't really repeat the same falsehoods that could be fact-checked, but they mostly repeat uh, underlying ideas as, yeah, like censorship or freedom of uh, whatever assembly and, and, and other things that are limited due to COVID situation. Then there are um, disinformation actors who have historically expressed interest in going into politics, but more on political fringes. So I see them still more as activists. They have their political perspective, also in some cases ideology, that they also project through their, oh, will this information work? And uh, it's especially when uh, these authors are spreading not just uh, simple inventions in the forms of news, 
but more like analytical pieces that use a lot of elements of conspiracy theory thinking. A lot of uh, bold words as, say, genocide or New World Order or elite or other kind of keywords that are very common in the conspiracy theory thinking. So uh, these are those people. And also they are more opportunistic, fame-seeking people. For instance, we have a dancer, a person who was a dance trainer, but now he's doing videos uh, expressing his personal opinion about uh, various events in country that basically you can see that he builds his opinions based on some falsehoods that maybe he is not the author of, but he's definitely an amplifier of. And there are other individuals who have a different kind of professional uh, profile. So we have a musician and a wedding host. We have also a um, piano player. Yeah, this dance uh, master. And there are many business businessmen. They used to have a business or they are having a business and then they are creating channels, garnering audience, and time to time between their work as usual by basically creating and sometimes disseminating falsehoods, they also promote their products. So it's really a mix. And because it's trending and because social media platforms also kind of willingly promote uh, or promote it um, more uh, in past than now, such content, um, many new faces appeared, and that's maybe the rough characterization of those. So it's political, business, and ego or fame-seeking motivation. Something that we also know is that there's a large Russian-speaking community in Latvia. So we asked Nika, what can explain their overall lower vaccination rate. Yeah, let's listen in. So yeah, we see that Russia has produced uh, a part of this information about COVID-19 vaccines, but specifically targeting Western uh, countries and Western vaccines. And it would be an unsuccessful uh, campaign if they would target locals uh, explicitly. Of course, uh, reading the news, people in Latgale, which is the eastern part of Latvia, where uh, there is very high proportion of people speaking Russian, or they prefer a Russian media over Latvian-born uh, content. So they, of course, they read uh, very kind of articles glorifying Sputnik. So they actually expected Sputnik. We can suggest that uh, partially it worked, but only for that region, because people were reading Russian media in Russian. Uh, but uh, for other regions, the willingness to prefer Sputnik vaccine over Western vaccines wasn't that obvious. So I would say that that was more like a spin-off effect, or in our view, kind of collateral damage of um, Latgale region uh, in Latvia being exposed to Russian information space more than sometimes maybe Latvian information space that caused that idea that people were waiting for Sputnik vaccine. But we didn't see that uh, locally operating Kremlin-owned outlets, and we have two of them. We have Sputnik and we have Balt News, uh, that they would really kind of focus on the vaccine issue. The language split is relevant when we talk about 
uh, government-reaching citizens, and government was and is criticized for not being able to reach Russian-speaking audiences. First, because the official um, correspondence between Russian speaker and the government should be in Latvian, unless the Russian speaker requests it in Russian. But that's kind of the chicken and egg problem in a sense that if person doesn't think that vaccine is something that he or she needs, he would not bother to ask government to promote vaccine to him or her. Uh, therefore, yeah, in general, there was not much content, official kind of content that would promote vaccine to Russian speakers and also locally elected parliamentarians that work in uh, Latgale and this eastern region of Latvia. They also weren't really active in promoting vaccination among their fellow citizens or basically residents of their municipalities. Well, probably it was just unpopular thing to do because people were already decided that they don't need vaccine or they will wait for the Sputnik vaccine. Of course, there was a lot of negativity also around this topic. So probably locally elected parliamentarians just decided to avoid this issue. Dava, what I also thought was really interesting, and I think this is one reason uh, why even a tiny country like Latvia is important for the rest of the world is that she made a really good point about how a vaccine disinformation is linked to climate disinformation. Well, in general, I think that uh, disinformation will not go away. And uh, okay, now we are fighting with uh, COVID-19 disinformation that is primarily about vaccines. But in future, we may be basically confronted with other new Uh, topics, uh, especially about the climate change. Our human species are more close to the wildlife and we haven't adopted viruses that the wildlife has been adapted to. So these zoonic viruses are more of a threat to humanity in general. We know that climate change is happening. We know that we need to change our behavior to do that. But we also know that for many years there were lobby organizations and powers that resisted that. I already see that climate change denialism or climate change uh, disinformation in general is, is there and is probably even more relevant and bigger fight we need to take up. So uh, I think COVID-19 disinformation is a very good lesson for us for what to do, what not to do. Also to be probably get less naive about our capabilities. And um, probably we also need to acknowledge that this information will not go away. You know what I also thought was really interesting about talking to Nika? Um, a lot of the press coverage that the Baltic states get are about the so-called elves, which is a very interesting team of, I'm just going to say, internet activists. But here we got to take a look at somebody who is looking at disinformation beyond the elf story. If this is the first time you hear about the Baltic elves, you can read more about them in the links we will provide in the show notes. So overall, what would you say is the most important message from, from what we heard from Nika? I think the most important thing was that we have to look at this now. We have to understand how these things are being disseminated now, who the actors are, where we can find them, because it's not going to go away. It's not getting better. The problem is just going to be bigger. And we will continue covering this story in different countries and different contexts. 
So subscribe to our podcast and our newsletter now. And if you know anybody who's worried about climate change, climate change disinformation or vaccine disinformation, just send them the link to our show. So Daiva, in the next episode, which is going to be in two weeks, do we have an idea of uh, who we're going to talk to? Yes, next week we're going to Romania, which is one of the least vaccinated countries in Europe. We will hear from very interesting experts why they think this is the case. I'm very interested in this too. I'm surprised that the vaccination rate is so low. And I think we also have a show on Sweden this year, don't we? Exactly. A team of Swedish journalists infiltrated into the anti-vaccination movement, and this took them all the way to the US. Ah, okay. This is going to be fascinating. I can't wait to talk to them. Everything we talked about today and all the links will be in the show notes so that you can find them, so that you can read up on the background information. And we're going to add a transcript of the show to our website, www.theinoculation.com, if you prefer to read all about the show. You can follow us on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter. Our reporting is supported by IJ4EU. Bye for now. Bye for now.